Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henrik as the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am thrilled to have Kelly Garrett on the podcast today. Kelly is the author of the upcoming suspense novel, Like a Sister by Mulholland Books, and the acclaimed Detective by Day Lightweight Mysteries. At the first, Hollywood Homicide won the Agatha, the Anthony, the Lefty, and the Ippy for Best First Novel. It's also one of BookBub's top 100 crime novels of all time. The second, Hollywood Ending, was featured on the Today Show's Best Summer Reads of 2019 and was nominated for both Anthony and Lefty Awards. She serves on Sisters in Crime's national board and is a co-founder of the wonderful organization, the Crime Writers of Color. You can learn more at her website, which will be in the show note. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Julie, I'm so excited to be here. You know I love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a mutual admiration society for sure. Um, And I also, I'm looking forward to talking to you about writing. Um, And you have a few facets of writing because you're also a mentor for a lot of people and you work with Pitch Wars and I'd love to talk about that. So um, people could just learn about different avenues and and how um, how things work and you know, how you're helping other people on their journeys. But let's talk about you first in your own writing journey. Um, when did you first say to yourself, I want to write a novel? I don't know if it was a novel, but I think when I was about five, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books, you know. Um, and so as soon as I could write, I would always start them. I, I was. This is how I knew ideas aren't hard to come by because I would have tons of ideas and I'd like write a first chapter and then I would get bored and I would start something else. And so somewhere in my mother's house, there is a full notebook of my first chapters. Um, and oh, I have wow. I have horrible writing, handwriting now. So I'm, I want to like try to find them to see if I can actually read them and see what I was doing. But um, that's that's how it started. I just knew. I'm one of those you annoying people knew. who just knew. <laughs> And did you, you know, throughout high school or, you know, take creative writing classes or, you know, how did you sort of develop the skills to be able to write um, a novel? Because it's it's a craft. I mean, it takes a, it takes a lot of work to write a novel. I, um, I think I knew maybe because I never could finish the book real quick. Um, I knew that I could not make a living as a writer. Um, so I I say I've done every other type of writing before I finally was brave enough to do a finish a book or start a book. And so I was a journal. I was like on my school newspaper um, when I was in high school. And then I was a journalism major in undergrad. I spent a couple years um, in journalism. Then I went to grad school for film at USC, which is the the best film school in the country. Sorry, NYU. And, um, and I worked in Hollywood for 10 years. And so like I re- really did every type of writing 
except for novel writing because I was afraid. So I think all of those skills that I learned from that, you know, it was such a long journey, but it, it's helped my books, you know, because with journalism, mm-hmm. it's great with research and, you know, you have to do quotes and things like that and tell a story and screenwriting. Obviously, you know, I, I was a TV writer for a year on a show called Cold Case. So I understood about, you know, storylines and plot points and, and beats and things like that. So all those things, even though I felt like part of me felt like I was wasting my time, it really, I think, helped me because the first book I wrote, I did eventually sell. So, and I look, can we talk a little bit about the screenwriting, um, you know, experience and how I that informs you as a writer? I can imagine that that's really helpful to, to, to for arcing and for everything else. But I always marvel at screenwriters because you can't do backstory and you can't do internal monologue. It's all got to be in dialogue or in, or in the um, pictures. So so how did those skills, which which just boggle my mind, help you with your writing your novel? Well, one thing, I think um, I stink. I suck at writing a description in my books. Um, I, actually, I don't like reading description in books. Don't tell anyone. Um, and so I think the part of it's because of my, my screenwriting background. Um, that's why I struggle for that. But I, so um, with television writing, you have such, you only have 60 minutes. And if you take away the commercials, which, you know, some people still have to watch, um, you have probably like 42 minutes at this point. And so you can't waste time. Like mm-hmm. every scene has to move the story forward. And so I think with my books, they're very plot heavy and like, Every scene I have, you're either introducing a character or revealing a plot point or setting up something that's going to come into effect later. So that helped me. Um, the other thing that I about TV writing is they have what they call act outs, which are this is again back when you had to watch commercials. Um, it'd be the last scene before the commercial break, and they want you to sit through like you know three minutes or four minutes or five minutes of products that you're going to buy anyway. So and not change the channel. So they always would end the acts on a really climactic note to make you be like, I have to see what happens next. I'm mm-hmm. going to sit through this Colgate commercial. Um, so I used to, I try to do that with my chapters and have them end on a high note, even if it's the middle of a scene, just to make people hopefully say, I want to stay up and just read one more chapter, just one more chapter. Just you know, you know, so those are the two things I got from TV writing. And then with my screenwriting, um, when I was learning at in grad school, my one of my first teachers said that you basically um, have three acts. This is kind of like if you have done Save the Cat, you know this, mm-hmm. you know, um, you have three acts. You have a very set sequence of things that happen. Um, and then with the second act, you're basically asking a question that gets answered by the end of the second act and so especially with the day series I did that for every act so every act would have a specific focus or question that's being asked that's her kind of her driving um her driving investigation get investigation focus that gets answered by the end of the act but it sets up a new question and a new focus um so I can explain it but I feel like I'm talking too long let me know. Should I explain it? I can explain it a little bit more. I think, Kelly, I would love to hear you okay. explain it because I find this fascinating. Okay. And I think we've got a lot of writing nerds who okay. listen to this podcast. So, um, um, so I won't do spoilers, but so my first Detective by Day book um, is about a woman who 
um, is broke and is trying to save her family's house. And so she um, realizes she's stumped. She's driven past a hit and run and the police are offering a reward for it. So her attitude is if I can just figure out um, this car that uh, hit the person, I could get this reward and basically save my family's house. So the first act, the question is, what car hit Haley Joseph, who was the woman who died? And so she spends the whole first act, which I think is like 100 pages, trying to figure out what the car, because of course she can't remember, right? It's not as easy as she thinks. And so she finally figures out the car and she learns a twist. The twist is that, um, I'll just say it, the car was stolen. Mm -hmm. And so now that takes her on a whole nother journey because it's also connected to something else that I won't spoil. And so that second act is that journey, which she answers. And then that takes it in a whole nother direction. And so I did that not so much for the um, suspense novel, but for the first two day books, if you really look at that, you will, if you want to really, if you really want to examine it, you will see that that's each, each hundred pages has a different focus. Well, I also think what you talked about uh, at the beginning was she's trying to save her family's house. So it's not just the reward. It's that the stakes are really high for her personally. So that you're, and, and she's also wonderful character. So you're quickly invested in her journey and her success at this. You want her to win. You want her to get this. And I will say, I will full disclosure, the first draft did not have that. Um, And that was the Michelle Richter my agent suggestion when we were getting some rejections that we should probably make her have a more, um, not just cause I'm broke and I need money. Let's give her an actual like reason that you might like her a little more. So that was a Michelle Richter. So shout out to Michelle Richter, my agent for that. So it sounds like, um, you plot, is that your first step? Yes. Okay. So, um, cause I think I've seen pictures of you on social media with you know note cards and post-its and um, I, I don't do those because that's just a lot of paper but I will have a I have a dry erase board that I use occasionally that I got from TV writing because uh in TV writing you all all the writers sit in a writer's room which is basically a conference room and they just talk about the story and they write down the beats on a, a whiteboard so I do I have used a whiteboard before for beats her story beats um and I'm a super plot and I think part of it is from screenwriting because with TV writing you have to have the plot because it's literally millions of dollars per episode so a network is not going to just be like sure just do whatever you want they want to approve it um and but I like go overboard like I think the plot the outline for uh, my second book Hollywood Ending which is the second day book was 25 pages and the funny thing Julie is that I do these long outlines and then by the time I get to the third act I throw out the third act both times and but when you're writing that third act, do you stop again and replot, or do you just sort of say, "I know what I'm doing now. I've got the structure. I'm just going to write." I think for the first book, I replotted, you know, and I think cause I it's funny because I understand with Panthers, which are such they're such a this like unicorn of people, like how do, do they exist and how do they work and how do they function? Um, I understand because Valerie Burns says this, like if I know what's going to happen, I um, get bored. So I understand that. And also like just to kind of, you have to know the characters, I think, mm-hmm. to really understand. And so I think, I guess for me, if you really want to look at it, it takes me two acts to know the character, you know? Yeah. And so by that third act, I'm like, actually what I thought was going to happen is not, would not really happen. And did you use the same methodology for your suspense novel that's coming out? Or or was that, because it's a different genre. I mean, you're this, you're... 
previous series are more lightweight, traditional mysteries. Suspense is different. So how did you how did you approach that? Did that start off as a suspense novel, or did it start off as something else? I mean, it's it's I it's a suspense novel. It's kind of like if you guys have ever read like a Megan Miranda or a Larry Bader Day, where it's still centered on a murder and a. I don't know if they want me to, to, to describe it like this, but in a way, like they're still amateur detectives. Like, you know, like they're still looking in, like they're still not police looking into there's a murder and they're trying, you know, and like they're trying to figure out what's going on or they're affected by it. Maybe they're not super as actively investigating as in a cozy, you know, but it's still like those, those bones are still there, which is why I think it works for me. And I was able to transition. So, um, so for my, in my suspense novel, it's a woman, who was estranged from her half sister and um, they haven't been talking for two years because her sister has a drug problem. She's her, her, her sister's a, a disgraced reality star and her sister's um, body is found dead of an overdose two blocks from her house. Mm. And so she's feeling guilty that they haven't talked. And then she's also like, what, like, why was she up here? Um, Cause it's an area she would not ever be up, up in, you know? So it's still very much driven by this person trying to find out what's happening and a murder um but it's a lot more character driven and not and that's not mm-hmm. to say that cozies and traditional mysteries don't have characters because they have great characters but i don't think necessarily they're as plot as character driven as like a laurie raider day book or a megan miranda book and i think to me mm-hmm. that's the difference and so um this one deals a lot more with her family issues mm-hmm. because she's has daddy issues her dad's this um Hip hop mogul who kind of she feels like abandoned her for a new family when she was young, uh, and so it's kind of like dealing with that as well and that guilt and there's giving more space to that guilt. Whereas with the day novels, that that space would go straight to plot. So even though mm-hmm. it's still very well plotted, in my opinion, um, it's there's also still a lot of character in there. And I will have to give credit to my editor, Helen O'Hare, because she's was the one who was really pushing me like, no, we need more character. I need to understand more why she's doing things because it's all in my head, but I'm, yeah. I don't always put it on the page. Yeah. And I love that you're you know, disgraced reality star is so specific. Mm-hmm. And and even if it's not right, in your brain you can just fill in the fill in a backstory for this person mm-hmm. that may or may not be accurate. But it's also very specific for this time, for for what <laughs> for where we are right now, because there are a lot of reality stars out there. Yeah, and I think that is um I'm curious to see the reaction because the book doesn't come out till March because it is, it's very much like Instagram. I mentioned like Instagram, like every page, I feel like, you know, it's, it's very much a very modern, very millennial story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm curious, not saying that there aren't other, because there are other suspense novels, thrillers that are very millennial and very social media based, especially now. You know, but I'm just, I'm curious to see what, what the reaction will be. Um, like my mother, I had my, let my mother read it. Mind you, she is my biggest fan. She's biased, but she's like, oh, I felt like I was kind of getting a glimpse into like this younger, hipper group of yeah. people, you know. Um, but I, I, I said that's that's the reality now for Gen Z and for millennials is that that's very much, their life is as much online as it is offline, right? Absolutely. So. Abs- and, and is 
generated for online. I mean, yeah. things are set up for online. Right? Yeah, and, you I, get this- and I said, I say that in the book where it's like, I think you present this Instagram life and like that's like, it shows your life filtered more in more ways than one is the phrasing I use because like everything's perfect and great. And then like, you know, it's really a mess, but it has to, the aesthetic has to be there of this beautiful picture, perfect place and house and life. And it's, it's all BS. So <laughs> it is, but it makes the rest of us feel bad and look at our second exactly. chins and exactly. hold our stomachs exactly. in. And- <laughs> no, like this morning I took a picture and I was like, should I try to face tune this before I put it online? Mm. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so why crime writing? Was it, did, did you always think I want to write mysteries? I mean, Cold Case, I remember that show was also a, a mystery driven show. Um, but was it always something that interests you or, you know? It did. Um, I guess I'm always like, I'm like, I'm nosy. I'm very curious. Uh, and mind you, when I was younger, I did read like Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley Twins, all that, all that stuff. But I also read Encyclopedia Brown. Um, I read Nancy Drew, although I was not as, I didn't feel as connected to Nancy Drew as other people do. Um, and, but what happened is when I was like around 11, I discovered like a jo- Joan Hass and Jane Jeffrey, which are cozy mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I have um, a very overactive imagination to the point where people say I'm an empath. Um, and so I can't read like really um, like graphic things. Mm-hmm. Like it, re- it upsets me. Uh, but if you want to, if you wanted to, you know, like mysteries and you can't read graphic really graphic stuff like torture and rape and child abuse that's where my cozies are so amazing is that you can get your mystery fixed without you know still being able to sleep at night so (laughs) uh, so I fell in love with cozies and then um after I discovered the cozy authors I moved to I I found like Barbara Neely Walter Mosley Valerie Wilson Wesley who were part of this wave of black uh crime writers Mm -hmm. that came out in the 90s and I was very lucky in that I was a teenager in the 90s at a time when they were first realizing that black people wrote, you know, could write books and people would read them, you know, and Mm -hmm. sad to say that people didn't think that before that, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and they stopped thinking that after that for a long time, Uh, you know, but I was just lucky in that because I truly believe representation matters. And so I was lucky in that I felt like I could write a mystery novel about a black woman uh, including a lightweight, but I thought at the time was a cozy mystery, which I was told later was not, is not a cozy mystery, um, because of the books that I read during those formative years. So, yeah, when you talk about representation matters, it does so much, and uh, and needs to be intentional. And I do think that there's yes. a change happening in publishing yeah, sure. right now that we all need to keep supporting and pushing yes. so that it doesn't sort of say, oh, we did that and now we're moving backwards so, because we need to, the business doesn't catch up to this or can use opportunities to go backwards. And and I do worry about that. Yeah. So I will say, so in the nineties, for those who don't know, um, it was this, because of Walter Mosley and Terry McMillan, who was this amazing black woman who writes um, just like fiction, general fiction. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call it women's fiction. I'm going to say general fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, publishers were like basically like any black, black book, black, black, black. Um, and so a lot of PI novels. And it was great 
But what happened is by like 2005, most of those people were not, were no longer published. I feel like from that time, um, I want to say Walter Mosley, obviously still published. Gar Anthony Haywood is still publishing his series, but like Valerie Wilson Wesley stopped publishing her series. And now she's actually just started doing a cozy, you know? So there's, there was like a 10 year, probably 15 year gap from that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, golden age to when they finally, once again, were being more willing, and we'll use that word to publish, uh, authors of color, especially black women. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say Rachel Housel Hall, Hazel Hall came out with her Lou Norton series in like 2014. I feel like she probably kicked it off, but it still took a couple of years. And I'm talking about black women. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about all people of color. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's an interesting thing that happens in my previous life. I worked at theater as well, where, there's so much pressure and, oh, we did this and it didn't sell well, right. so we're not going to do it anymore. Instead of saying, we need to open our lens yes. to the whole world and, and keep supporting authors and be intentional about what we're doing. Right. Um, yes. And, and I we think, need to be intentional. Yes. And I think that's one thing you will find out with authors of color, period, but especially black mystery writers we support each other so much. Um, and some people don't understand why we're not competitive. And I think it's because we know that that glass ceiling is still very thick. And if one of us wins, like Rachel Housel Hall's success helped my success, which helped mm-hmm. Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby's success. And he blew it up last year. Like Blacktop yeah. Wasteland is probably the biggest crime fiction novel of the year. Mm-hmm. Um and that success is going to help me and Rachel and a bunch of people who are coming in the door right now. So we know that if one of us wins, we all win, which is why we're not competitive with each other, which, again, some people don't seem to understand. Well, and Crime Writers of Color has a presence on Twitter and has a wonderful podcast that Robert Justice uh, Does, yeah. is the host of. And uh, so we highly suggest following Crime Writers of Color and signing up for their newsletter and just visiting their site so you can see what's going on. And I've been finding uh, more books to read and more um, people to get to know by following um, following the group, but also seeing how you all do support each other. I mean, it's a really wonderful, excited, vibrant community because you're exactly right. If we need to celebrate each other's success. Yes. We cannot cut each other down. Right. No, it just, it, it's too hard. So yes. why, why, it's too competitive why do a that? business. It's too brutal of a business. They're like, you know, like we should, we need to lift each other up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you do that. You're one of the co-founders of Crime Writers of Color. Yeah. Um, with Gigi Pandian and Walter Mosley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. An unbelievable trio. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you also, can we talk about Pitch Wars? Uh, Mia Manitzala was on um, the podcast as well. We talked about it a little bit. But I'm noticing there's some conversations going on on Twitter and what that looks like. So what got you involved with Pitch Wars? And, and you know, how does that, you know, you mentor a lot of people. What is, why do you do that, Kelly? <laughs> Because I'm just a selfless person. No, um, so so those who don't know, Pitch Wars is probably the largest online mentoring program. 
And what it does is it'll take a more established either author or person in publishing, and they will spend three months mentoring an emerging author who does does not have an agent, helping them revise a a finished novel um, in preparation to hopefully get them an agent. Um, And we end it with an agent showcase um, at the end, but a lot of the mentees still will get their their agents through um, through, uh, traditional querying. You know, so we've had a lot of success stories uh, like Tommy Adiyami from Children of Blood and, Blood and Bone. I'm sure I just messed her name up. Uh, Helen Huang from The Kiss Quotient. Uh, Zoya Stage with um, Baby Teeth. And me. <laughs> and uh, so my first book actually was a pitch where it's not about Hollywood homicide. And I did not have an agent. I was involved in Sisters in Crime, but I was still very much a newbie. And this was 24. 24- 14. And so I was chosen by a, a wonderful person named Sarah Henning. I got my agent, Michelle Richter, through the agent showcase. We ended wow. up selling the book. And so that's why I do it because it helped me so much. And I understood mm-hmm. not just the value of the men- having a mentor, but that community, the Pitch Wars community. If you go online and to Twitter and you do the hashtag Pitch Wars, you will see that the community is beyond just mentors and mentees. It's a whole community. And I should give a a credit to Brenda Drake, who is the woman who started it. She's, I cannot, she is Pitch Wars. Um, And so I, I've been mentoring since 2015. So Kristen LaPianca, um, The Last Place You Look, which is a Seamus award-winning novel. That was uh, the the book that I mentored for her. Um, Mia was one of my mentors. Uh, Mary, I'm going to mess up Mary's last name, Kilakoya, who Derail, which is getting all these nominations. That was a that was our pitch wars book. Me and Sarah mentored her. Suzanne Park, who has like three or four books out, she was one of my mentees. Um, Meg Long was one of my mentees. She has a sci-fi book coming out next year. I think almost wow. all my I've had like five or six mentees, and I think most of them have agents. Um, and most of them have book deals. So I'm very proud of my little family tree. I just pick really well. <laughs> I'm very good at picking talented people. Um, you know, and so just that is amazing. And um, just that process and like that help, you know, and like you said, it's especially when you come in and you don't know anything and it's scary. So to have to have that support system is great. And again, that's, I think, as much as I love working with Sarah, it was also the connection I made with my fellow mentees, which is why I um, have been, I'm so big on community. I think that and Sisters in Crimes, Guppies Group are the two reasons why I started Crime Rise of Color, or at least co-founded it. So so when we talk about writing and we talk about publishing, they are two different journeys. Yes, they are. And we talked a little bit about your writing journey, and we'll, we can, we'll keep touching on that. But the publishing journey, something like Pitch Wars can also help people who just have no idea what the difference between a acquiring agent and a um or acquiring editor and an agent is or, you know, what a synopsis is or how a query works or, you know, how to do a pitch. Um and there's sometimes assumptions in publishing that you you just automatically know this. Yeah. Or if you don't do it well right away, you're you know, you're not a serious writer, which isn't fair. Right. Um but you do need you keep learning. I'm but definitely in your writing journey you keep learning. But in your publishing journey, you have to keep learning mm-hmm. how to hone your skills and be better at that. That's the business side. Yeah, I, I remember one time I was reading an article in Entertainment Weekly, it was an author, and she described it as the author hat. And the writer hat, 
And she's like, I take off my author hat and I put on my writer hat. I take off my writer hat and I put on my author hat. And that helped me. And I was like, that's correct. Like the things I do as an author are not necessarily like that's the marketing. And that's me trying to like, you know, do Instagram, figure out Instagram and Twitter and cover reveals and interviews and things like this. Like this is all author hat stuff, you know, and the writing hat is a completely different beast. That's me by myself in a room. You know, the author hat's very collaborative, you know, and the writing hat is you basically by yourself in a room crying, at least me crying, <laughs> um, you know, so it's definitely different. I think you're right. And unfortunately, a lot of people come in, they don't know, you know, and there, luckily there are resource, resources out there, you know, and right. I suggest that you join groups like, um, Sisters in Crime, their Guppies group is amazing. You know, if you're a person of color, Crime Writers of Color is a great group for you. Join the Pitch Wars community, you know, and just, and like, find that community. Because it also helps because you have so little control over the author hat part of it that it helps to have other people there to support you. Yeah, and and, and so that you can talk to them and they understand. Yes. Because your family and friends, no. unless they're writers, they, they love you and they support you, but they have no idea what At it means. All. You just no. got you know, a seven-page editorial letter or something, whereas oh. another writer could say, well, I have 14 pages of single space. Wow. <laughs> twice. I have them twice. <laughs> so another writer can, okay, let me talk. Let's, I, I'm here for you. Call me. We'll talk. <laughs> whereas your family's like, oh, does that mean you can't come to the cookout? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, are your book, is your book out next week? You just sold it. Like, no, it's going to exactly. be out next year. What? Exactly. Trust me. <laughs> it needs to be out next yes, year. Exactly. <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd known sooner uh, with the on the author hat side? I think we haven't talked about my journey yet, my publishing journey, which is, I don't think it's a unique journey, but it was not like the overnight success journey. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's talk about it. What was your journey like? <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. So um, <laughs> at the time my book was trying to be sold, it was 2015. And again, as I said, there weren't a lot of, um, there weren't any, especially cozies by black black right. people being published um, by traditional like big five, smaller presses, medium presses, name it, you name it. They were not publishing it. Um and so I was very naive and I was like, oh, well, obviously no one's writing them. So that's the reason why it's not being published. I'm just going to write an amazing book and <laughs> it'll be great. It'll sound and it'll be amazing. And yes, yes, yes. And that's not the case. They, people were writing them. They just were not selling them because publishing right. did not want to buy them. And so um, after doing Pitch Wars and getting my agent, we it took over a year to sell my book, you know, and... It was a good book. I'm going to say that. I'm going to own that. My book was a good freaking book. And Michelle made it a better freaking book with her mm-hmm. edits. Um, and we got rejected by everybody. And, you know, and I had friends and not saying that they, because they're just as talented, even more, probably more talented, they would sell in six weeks. And when you're, um, the, the interesting thing about being a person of color is when you're rejected from something, you don't, you, it's not, they might, they're never going to go. Well, at least they don't, they didn't say it to me. I think they say it to other people. Or you will it's black and we don't think people are going to buy black books. Like they're not going to say that to me. It's, Oh, it's too predictable. It's not predictable enough. Oh, it's something similar right. to what we have already, you know, and maybe that is the case and maybe it's not the case. And I will never know because they're not going to be truthful to me. 
especially mm-hmm. in this, the climate of 20, the 2010s. Um, and so it took over a year. And then luckily, finally, um, Terry Bischoff of Midnight Inc. bought it. And I always say this because I, I, lest I sound cocky about saying it was a good book. The I got very little edits from Terry. Uh, and so the book that ended up winning the Agatha and the Anthony and the Lefty and the Ippy and getting two starred reviews from Publishers Weekly and from Library Journal and it was their debut of the month was the same book that got rejected by all those people for a year. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that because I think a lot of people who um, don't really understand how don't want to acknowledge how racism works we'll just go oh your book was oh you're just not good enough mm-hmm. so that's why i tell that story to say oh it was not that i was not good enough because the not good enough book got all this stuff <laughs> you know and so um so that was my journey but i think it's funny i was thinking about this in the car i think it actually helped me that i took so long to sell because I think everyone who knows me will tell you Kelly's very outspoken. And so my attitude is not, I'm happy to be here. My attitude is like, I'm here and I had fought to get here and I'm going to continue to fight for other people. So they have an easier mm-hmm. journey than I do. <laughs> so, Which is tremendously important. And also um, so unfair. And I realize that that's not an adequate word, um, but you, one of the things I admire about you is that you tell the truth. Always. Yeah. Well, you know, and you hold a mirror up and you don't take it down. It's like, oh, this is what happened. Um, And thank heaven for Midnight Inc. Yes. Late lamented Midnight Inc. They, they, Terry Bischoff, she needs to be committed because she published so many amazing books. Because I think there was a time with Cozy's where there was such a set formula. And so if you didn't write that set formula, you know, like she, like you could go to like a midnight ink and they would publish your book, you know? Yeah. So, cause you used to be with them too. I know with your, um, theater. Yeah. Theater with series. my theater series. No, midnight ink was that mid small, mid size press that took risks. And, um, uh, it publishing the business model publishing is something I don't understand. And yeah. I worked in theater for 30 years, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it's, it's just, it takes a long time to change, but some of these midsize presses are willing to or able to adapt or to change. So when Midnight Inc. went out of business, it was a huge loss, not just huge. to the authors and their stable, but um, a huge loss in general to the publishing community. Yeah. Yeah. And it hasn't been replaced. No, I think I think slowly some big five are starting to embrace, I'll call them edgier, edgier cozies, but um, it's been a long time. And also um, more inclusive cozies. Oh, I for mean, sure. they're just actively, you yeah. know, the cozies that are out there or that you can avail yourselves of reflect the world instead of just a small slice of the world, the lens through which we viewed what the world was for so long, Yeah, you know, and that's the, what we need to change is that lens needs to be much wider, yeah. much broader, much more inclusive. You know, and I think, and I, I, I want to, again, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but it was, Alexia Gordon came out the year before me. Mm-hmm. Um, Gigi Pondine has been consistently publishing diverse books lighter weight books for years um 
my year, Valerie Burns. It was me, Patricia Sargent, who writes as Olivia Matthews. Um, Vivian Shen came out after, like maybe like a year after me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been, it's been very slowly, you know, coming that it's been more and more diverse. And again, I feel like the success of all of us, mm-hmm. I think hopefully help publishers, the big five, at least realize like, oh, there is a market right. for diverse cozies, you know? And then, so now I know like Berkeley has a directive of diverse own voices, millennial cozies and me, like Mia is part of that. And Mia's book is doing so amazing. And again, because her book is doing so amazing, that's good for all of us because yeah. that means that now publishers are going to go, I, we need more diversity because clearly it's selling. Right. You know, so she's going to open so many doors for so many people because her book is doing well. Yeah. So that I guess, which all, is why I cannot, I can't be competitive and feel jealous because I'm like, that's good for me. You know, and it's good for all of us, even who came before her. So, well, it's good for everybody. Yeah. It's good for everybody to have a wider variety of of reading materials yes. and and different characters yeah. who we can read and be on journeys with and. You know, people don't have to be like you to enjoy the book or enjoy the journey. And I think that's something people really need to embrace and to learn is, you know, read widely and read deeply because Uh, it's only good for you. So Alexia says, it's Alexia Gordon, who I keep naming, but she's amazing. Check her out. Um, She's said this one time to me. She said, people can connect to a like an alien, a book about an alien, or like you think about Harry Potter, like what is, what was, I, don't, I always call him the wrong thing. What is he, a world? Like what is, I forgot Harry Potter is, sorry, fan, sorry Potterverse, you know, <laughs> but so like, it's like why when it comes to some straight cis white people, they they can connect to a zombie or a vampire, but when it right. comes to people of color or queer people or other marginalized people, it's like, oh, I can't read that, I can't connect. Right. It makes sense. Like, how does that work? No. no. Well, I think I think how it works is the systemic inequities yeah. that we've all built in and that we need to think about. And I, I do. Th- I hope that most people, when they think about that, will say, yeah, that makes no sense. Yes. Let me try this book. Which is why it's such a great quote. Thank you, Alexia. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Alexia. Um, who also has a podcast, which is great. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> um, so in your writing journey, what... You know, we all get advice and we all learn and do things. What's the worst piece of writing advice you ever got? I don't know if it's advice, but I I hate when people say, like, you have to write every day to be a writer. I hate yeah. that. And I think they, they like, it's a way to guilt people who don't write every day. And some people cannot write every day because they have day jobs and they have families and they have a lot of mm-hmm. stuff going on. Some people just don't write every day. Like I'm not a writer who writes every day. And I used to feel so guilty about it. And I spend like more time feeling guilty about not writing every day than I, you know, than writing. And I finally like had to give myself permission to say that does not work for you, Kelly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's okay. And don't stop feeling bad about that. So I, I, I hate when people say that, you know, everyone has a different process. Some people can write at 5am. They have a 5am writers club. I cannot, I don't can't write till 8pm. Just because I have a day job and I, and I can't, I just can't switch gears that quick, you know? So I just think I hate when people try to like say set things and this and try to guilt people when it's like, you have, you have to figure out what works for you and whatever works for you is what works and it's great and it's wonderful and it's amazing. Do it. (laughs) And do it. I mean, that's, that's the real 
you know. So what's the best piece of writing advice you ever got? Um, so when I was uh, in journal, like my first first or second job in journalism, and I knew I wanted to be a screenwriter, I took a class at the new school, and it was back before like online, and so it was in person. And the professor said, uh, "Writing is rewriting." And I actually am a person who hates the, like the blank page scares me, which is why I do 25 page outlines. Um, and, but I love to rewrite. I love it. I love to, I like, I call it a vomit draft. The first draft, you just throw stuff on the page and then you get to clean it up. And I, I don't like cleaning my house, but I love to clean up my drafts, you know? And so, and so that thing too is I think giving myself permission and it's still very hard for me to um, just write bad. Yeah. You know, just to and have faith that, like, I have to literally have to say to myself, okay, well, Hollywood Homicide was crap when you first started it, too. And look how it turned out. Hollywood Ending was crap. Uh, this new one, Like a Sister, definitely was crap. You know, and it's, you have a book now that you really like, and you're, you wrote the whole thing, you finished it, you have a beginning, middle, end. And because I'm about to start a new book right now, and I'm scared. I'm so scared. I'm so afraid of it. It's like a blank page. and I haven't written anything yet. And I am under contract, so I have to write something by a certain date. And I'm very scared about it. But I'm trying to, like, remind myself, like, you were scared three, actually three and a half other times before. And it yeah. turned out okay. But because you put the work in. So stop being scared and put the work in. Is the new book that you're starting now a standalone? Or yes. So um, yeah. the domestic, well, yeah, the suspense books are all standalones. Um which are good and bad. I think um, I always like admire people like you who can do so many series and like, or people like Jan Ivanovich, you have like 20 or 30 books in a series. Cause I was making the same jokes in, in two books. Like, and it was hard for me <laughs> to keep it fresh. Um, and so I don't miss that part, but especially now as I start a new book and I've, has, I've been spent so much time with like a sister, which is the one coming out in March, like just so much time in this person's head yeah. that now that I have to create this whole new character, because I always wait first person and be in this person's head again, it's freaking me out. Um, and and trying to be like, okay, I don't want to just like try to write Lena, who is the other character again in just a different circumstance. I want to create a fully created different character, which is going to take work. Um, yeah. And so with the series, you don't have to do that because it's the same thing. So I miss that part of the series element, but um, I don't miss the the fact that I felt like I was doing the same thing over and over. And again, that's just me. Not every series author, a lot of, everyone like truly is amazing at not doing that and other people, but I, that was a struggle I had. So. Well, I, I'm looking forward to uh, like a sister next year, but I'm also looking forward to seeing on social media what you do with this next book <laughs> I and i think too <laughs> but i also think for folks who you know in the publishing this book will be out in march which means copy edits and just finish them okay so because when you're you've got to get back into the old book and then switch into a new book and that's always really hard i mean that's, yeah i think that's just, i don't think a lot of there's so many different things that are like i i wish like authors that aren't published yet new and like that's like that balance of author hat and writer hat yeah a lot of times you do have to switch those hats in the same day and yeah. it's not as easy and exciting and glamorous as you think it is because like yeah i was doing character work for this new one and they're like, copy edits, too soon. And so I had to stop doing that. And I'm not, there are people, like, I know, like, you have multiple series. There are people who have multiple series who can write 
two series, two different books in one day. I could not do that. Mm-hmm. And so I can't even write them in the same week. Obviously I'm learning. So, um, so like switching, like switching gears like that, I'm just yeah. not good at it, but you have to have to get better at it. If I want to have this career actually happen. You well, know? cause and deadlines are real when, before you're published, you have the luxury. Yeah. It's very concerning, but you have the luxury to keep working on the right. book and things. But once you've got deadlines, like, okay, that's, that's, I don't know if you're like this, Julie, but like, I'll be writing crap and I literally will be like, this will be a book in a year on a, on a, on a shelf. <laughs> As I like, write, like, I'm like, this is really going to be a book. In a, that's how I think people always say that the second book you write after you sold the first one is the hardest ever. And I think because mm-hmm. that mindset, especially if you've sold that book already uh, in advance, it's just like that mindset of like this book, because all books start off as crap. They do. Yeah. All of them do. And yeah. the idea that you know that your crap is going to actually be a book and people are going to read it and judge it and put stars on Goodreads is, I think, quite the open eye-opening experience and thought process. <laughs> But exciting and and and, no, and the part of the journey. I mean, it's first world problems, and I can't. I'm not. I can't be complaining about it because I'm very happy I have these problems. But it's still scary. It is scary. Um, you mentioned that you joined Sisters in Crime earlyish on your career. Can you talk about the role Sisters in Crime? has played in your writing journey. Um. So I was listening to uh, Valerie's your, your your lovely conversation with Valerie. Um on the car earlier today and uh you guys should all listen to that and one of the things valerie said which is true is that sisters in crime is probably the only org that you don't have to be published although i think with mwa you don't have to be published but it's like i don't know if it's the same i don't know because i I didn't join it before i was published and so it was great that i joined it and i joined guppies and i literally went on guppies it's like hi i'm kelly i'm working on this cozy novel xyz and uh lisa matthews who is a fellow cozy writer messaged me off off board and so she was like my first mystery friend and then she introduced me to ellen byron and she introduced me to mariella prouse who was marla cooper um and they became my first writing mystery writing friends and we ended up doing a blog called chicks on the case which is still around i'm no longer an active member although i'm always a chick um but it was through guppies you know, and so that's what I say. I understood the community because of Sisters in Crime and having that that space of guppies um, really helped my career because I made friends and they all were like my big sisters because they all were published before me and they all were giving me like amazing advice. Mm-hmm. So the guppies for uh, listeners who don't know is an online chapter of sisters in crime and it's the great unpublished. Um, but many people who have are published stay on and keep supporting and helping people. But it's, um, it's, uh, it's a really wonderful chapter of sisters in crime. Yeah. Yes. I'm technically still a member, but I only go on for the gossip. <laughs> <laughs> So Kelly, you know, I love this conversation. We could go on forever, but um, <laughs> but like, you guys are never going to invite me back to anything. Oh, are you kidding? Are you kidding? We could have the Julie and Kelly show and do a weekly podcast where we talk about this. Um, but what you know? What advice would you give your younger self? 
if you knew I if you knew then what you know now, what would you sort of tell yourself? One, I would say be proud because you did it. Yeah. And um even though it took longer than you five year old you thought and wanted, you did do it, you know, and so I would say stop being afraid to write. Write the write the dang book already. Um and just, you know, and, and just write. And I even now I'm still afraid to write, as I've said several times. So just like to just do it, I guess, like, like, like be like Nike and just do it. So that'd be the advice I give myself. And I have faith, too. So that's great advice. And we're grateful that you're just doing it and can't wait to read the new book um, that's out in March. March 8th. I'm still it's funny with Midnight Inc. They always would publish their books the first the first the eighth of of every month. Yeah, every month and so, yeah. I'm still on the 8th. I can't get away from it. It makes it easy to remember, though, my release dates. <laughs> and is it up for pre-order yet? Or No, it's. I have a cover, but we haven't haven't revealed it yet. It's beautiful. Julie, I have to send it to you offline. Did I send it to you? I might have, by the way. I, don't, <laughs> I haven't seen it I'll yet. I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, and so we're going to hopefully do a cover reveal and hopefully have pre-orders in July. So Very exciting. Very, very exciting. We're, wow. getting, we're getting blurbs right now, which is, like, that's the thing is, it's book has been such a private thing between me and my agent and my editor. So the idea that others are, are reading it is, is again, scary. <laughs> that's the thing. But it's today. part of the process. And again, that's the author hat and yeah. you're very good at that. I mean, you're good at the marketing and the thoughtfulness awesome. and the reader engagement and, and everything else, but that's another skill you have to learn yeah. or have someone in your life who knows how to do it so that they yeah. do it for you. And my advice for that is I think, again, people like you have to be on Instagram. You have to be on Twitter. You have to have a newsletter. I don't have a newsletter. I'm not going to have a newsletter, but I love Twitter. And so I'm super on Twitter all the time. And I have like 9,000 followers, you know, and so it's because I, I pick the thing I like and I do it. So mm -hmm. my advice is obviously you have to market yourself, but find the one that you like to do and then do that. Don't feel pressure to do all of them. Right. Especially if you hate some an aspect of it, like if you hate Instagram, then don't do it. Yeah, because it kind of shows if you hate. Yeah, it, too, it does. It, does. it really does. <laughs> isn't really engaging. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Good look. Good luck on writing the new book. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I can't wait to for the next one. And uh, if folks haven't read your Hollywood Homicide series, they should definitely. Yeah, once that. I republish so, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll hold off on on that and, and suggest they do it later. That's a, that's a whole other conversation about what to do when your rights get reverted you to, to you. Now you have to invite me back so we can talk about that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.